up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I have perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the water of our God will stand forever. All right. <clears throat> Thank you, Alex. And uh, thanks, Chris. Hey, way to go, man. I don't know what you did, but uh, you worked your magic, and that uh, was great. Um, so, so what if you had the ability to travel back in time and redo an awkward moment or, or maybe a bad decision? There's a, there's a movie that uh, kind of explores this idea. It's called About Time. Uh, it's, it's a sweet and, and funny move, movie. I, I should say it's not necessarily a family movie, so I'm not recommending everybody to get together to watch this, but uh, there's some sweet parts to it. Um, and and in, this, in this movie, uh, the, the main character is there's kind of like a, a family secret to where they can they can travel back in time and kind of redo these these moments and uh, and as they, they go through the movie there's a few funny scenes where he has like a bad moment and he goes back and and kind of does it over again for example there's a girl he likes and so he goes up to this girl and you know he he asks her name and she says it's mary and he says oh my mother's name is mary and the girl says so i remind you of your mother so he goes back and, he, and he's able to kind of do it in time and he, and he meets her again and she says her name is Mary and he says Mary you have beautiful eyes did a little bit better there and then there's another funny scene where he has the best man at his wedding giving the toast and he has a couple of his idiot buddies do it and they're just like oh just did a terrible job and he does it a couple times and he, then he pulls in his dad and his dad just nails it and he's like oh that's, that's the one we're going to keep and so anyway, it's just this, this, it's a fun story about this. And you can't help to imagine if you could have a, a do-over here or there, where might you have a do-over? Um, but, but here's the thing. If you could have that power, would you take it? If you, I mean, because I don't know about y'all. I have a lot of moments that I've said things or done things and I immediately regret them. And then I don't know if y'all are like me. I have a few moments that I don't really realize until like a year or two later, I was like, man, I was really arrogant and bold in that statement. Why did I come on so strong there? Why didn't I, or why didn't I come on stronger? And so I definitely have some things I like to have a do-over on. But would you, if you could, would you take that power to redo some moments? Now, obviously, that's a silly question because we, we don't have that opportunity. But if we did, 
I'd like to spend today arguing that you should not take it. And the reason I would argue that you should not take that power to go back and redo uh, history is found in Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. In other words, God is doing something that is beautiful. And, and, and one of his primary tools in creating beauty is time. And if we could go back and mess with time, we would, we would mess with the beauty that God is creating. So, so today I want to focus on a truth and then a question in light of that truth. The truth is this, time is God's tool to create beauty. And the follow-up question is this, how should we respond to this truth? So first, time is God's tool to create beauty. In verse one, we read this, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then, then the preacher, as he's called in Ecclesiastes, goes through and he has this, this list of, of uh, contrasting times, like a time to be born and a time to die, a time to love and a time to hate and so on. And there's this idea that there is a time for everything, a time for every extreme and, and everything in between. And so what we learn from this is that God is sovereign over time and that everything happens at its proper time. For everything, there is a season. And, and one of the reasons we know that God's in control of time and everything happens, at, everything happens at the proper time is because, again, what we see in chapter 3, verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. So all the madness, all the randomness that we see in life and that terrifies us and that has terrified us and, and can terrify us in the future, we should know that amidst all the randomness and chaos that the Lord is in fact making everything beautiful in its time. There is a picture that he is painting and, and we can't see the big picture. We, we do not know how it all works together. We just see these random strokes that make no sense and usually, or maybe I should say often, seem out of place. And look, we should note that the text does not say that God makes everything beautiful. That's not what it says in verse 11, is it? It says, he does make everything beautiful in its time. Time is the tool that God uses to create beauty. And we see this all over the scriptures. Think about Joseph, sold into slavery, falsely accused, imprisoned, left alone and forgotten. And you know, during all that time, Joseph might have had maybe this moment where he thought, you know, gosh, I was really a jerk to my brothers. I, I really, I was arrogant. You know, my dad kind of favored me, gave me this, this fancy coat. And I was really mouthy about it. This is probably God, you know, disciplining me for my pride. And if we could go back and talk to, to Joseph at that moment, it'd be like, well, I mean, maybe, but you should know that is just a minuscule part of what's going on. Even if you can orchestrate some type of blame on you, Joseph, you're a sinner. I'm sure you do sinful things. It's kind of irrelevant to what God is doing in the, in the big picture. And then you have Moses. He begins in Egypt, then he murders somebody and he flees and he becomes a shepherd. From, from his 40s to his 80s, he's a shepherd. 
But eventually we all know the story. He goes back and delivers uh, Israel out of Egypt. And there's King David, anointed king. And then he's on the run for years and years from King Saul trying to kill him. And then, of course, there's Jesus, the long-awaited Savior. He was born, as the scripture says, at the fullness of time, eventually delivered over to the authorities, crucified, dead, and buried. But look, we all know the, the story about Jesus. So, so no one gets uh, confused. No one's ever come up to me and just been like, Kevin, I just really struggle with how Jesus was innocent and he suffered. No one ever says that because everybody knows the big, the big picture. They, they, they can see that the beautiful thing God was creating in the death of the Son of God. And so nobody really struggles with the, with the particular details of his suffering. It was payment for our sin, and it is clearly beautiful in time. And, and a lot of these pictures that we see the Lord painting in the Scriptures have some pretty dark strokes in them. But, but thousands of years later, we don't really struggle with them. And the reason is because we can see the whole picture. We see what happened to Joseph and Moses and David, but they could not see the whole picture. And in particular, with the death of the Son of God, the only truly innocent man to ever suffer, the, the, the darkest stroke of human history is to us the most glorious moment in human history. We see this dark stroke, and it is beautiful in its time. Now, it, it would help me and it would help you to know that God makes everything beautiful in its time. For, for, for me to know there was a time for me to be born and there is a time for me to die, and, and the same goes for everyone I love too. I've, I've shared uh, before that when we had our first child, I had a hard time sleeping at night. And, you know, the, you, you probably know it's like, well, because the baby's crying. Like, yeah, the baby was crying. But here's the other side. The baby didn't always cry. Sometimes we'd go to bed, and I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and it's silence. I think something might be wrong. And so for, for weeks, I, I couldn't sleep, and I was just anxious. Um, and, and you know what was good medicine for my soul? And I'll tell you this. It was effective to me when, with an infant, and it's been effective to me all throughout. As, as you all know, we are prone to worry about our kids. But what I find a lot of comfort in is uh, a text in Psalm 139. And actually, Michael mentioned it in his prayer. But it's Psalm 139, verse 13 to 16. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And here it is. Here's what was helpful for me. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. There were days formed for Kevin Shoemaker before he was born. My days were written before I was born. There was a day I was going to be born. And there is a day that I will die. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And our God is sovereign over those days. We are no more in control of our day of death than we were our day of birth. And the same goes for our children and everyone we love. The, the good news is we cannot die before our time. 
The bad news is we cannot go beyond our time. And we take comfort in this, that, that whenever that day comes, even though it might be awful, it will be made beautiful in its time. There is a time to be born, and there is a time to die. No matter how dark the stroke seems to be in the midst of real pain, suffering, and sadness, we can know this. God is making everything beautiful in its time. Time is the tool that God uses to create beauty. But we need to accept that the Lord will usually not allow us to be privy to the bigger picture of what he is making. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says this, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, you should know there's some debate over the, the Hebrew word that is translated here as eternity. Uh, if you have the, the King James Version, that word might be world instead of eternity. Uh, I don't know if anybody has the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, uh, but it translates that word eternity or world. It, it uses that, it translates that, that word as a sense of past and future. And, and I'm actually persuaded to understand it as the, the NRSV translates it. I think the idea here, or what we see this, this word being explained as the verse continues on, and I think what it's explaining here is that God has put in us a sense of the past and the future so that in our hearts we are unable to figure out what God has done and what God will do. Or in other words, God has put, in, regarding, in regards to time, God has put a sense of mystery into our hearts. So here's what we can take away from this. Our God makes everything beautiful in its time. Even the darker strokes are serving towards this end. And God has put in us a sense of ignorance in our hearts about what he is doing so that we cannot figure out what he is doing. <laughs> and look, this can actually be encouraging to know that a beautiful picture is being painted we just haven't been given the privilege to know what that picture is or what it looks like. You know, if you've ever watched the show Extreme Home Makeover, they uh, will, will send the family away while they kind of, you know, demolish and renovate the home. And, and usually at some point during the show, you know, the, the family's off away on a vacation somewhere and they show them a video of just tearing down the house. And, and the family usually laughs, right? And the reason they laugh is because they know it's getting torn down to get rebuilt. Like there's a bigger picture here. They're, they're privy to the story going on, even though they don't, they don't know the details. They're not upset at the demolition. And the, the same is with us, is that we can be at peace with the demolition that we so often see because we can know that even though we don't have a clue what God is doing, everything is being made beautiful in its time. So then, if that's true, and it is, how should we respond? It's my second point, or the, the question I want to ask in light of that truth. Look at verse 12 and 13. Verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toll. This is God's gift to man. So in light of there being a time and season for everything, 
And since we see that God is in control over these times and seasons, and because we will almost always be ignorant of what the Lord has done, is doing, and will do, what, what should we do? Well, the answer is clear in the text, isn't it? You just saw it. We should be joyful, do good, eat, drink, take pleasure in our toll, in our work. So since God is in complete control and we are on his schedule, not our own schedule, and because we are a small piece of this puzzle being put together over human history and we can't see the big picture, we should try to be joyful and do good. And it's interesting that phrase, do good, could also be translated as enjoy yourself. And, and it is in the NRSV again. And, and, and here we are again with Ecclesiastes not giving us what we would expect. We would expect something a little bit more holy. So, so what we just did, we considered the doctrine of time and God's sovereignty over time. And, and we don't assume that the application would, be, would therefore be, be happy and enjoy yourself. I mean, for, almost, for, for, for some of us, that almost seems anti-Christian. Like, like, like the job of the pastor is to get that idea out of your head. Like, hey, quit trying to make life about being happy and enjoying yourself. But then we get to Ecclesiastes and it says basically that. Be happy and enjoy yourself. Well, look, I should say this. Our, our life shouldn't just be about that. But it probably should be more than we realize. And, and that idea of, be, of enjoying ourselves and being happy might be holier than we realize. And that certainly seems to be what Ecclesiastes is teaching us. And in this where we ended last week, if you'll remember, we, we talked a little bit about the, the pursuit of pleasure and wisdom and, and, and work. And if we see those things as the thing that will deliver, the thing that will complete us and, and make us happy, then we will inevitably find those things to be terribly disappointing. But God in his kindness gives us good gifts to enjoy. He delights to give his children sweet gifts along the path that he has carved out for them. And we should enjoy those things. We would even be wrong not to enjoy those things. We should enjoy a good meal with friends, a, a cold morning with a hot cup of coffee, a good book, a good movie, a good show, a good conversation, a good game. Uh, putting a puzzle together, having a laugh, seeing other people laugh, putting in a good day's work, having a laugh with people you work with, seeing other people you work with do excellent work. These are things that God's given us to enjoy, simple things that, are, that aren't coming from the, the hand of man, but they are a gift of God. And the enjoyment life, as we see in, in chapter 3, verse 13, and going back to chapter 2, verse 24, it's a gift of God. But if we make it our life and ambition to, to do this, then rather than see it as a gift, it will ruin the enjoyment of the gift. And look, there's a fine line, and we tried to hit on it last week, but if you pursue joy, if you, oh, excuse me, if you pursue pleasure or wisdom or work as your ultimate happiness, you're going to miss it. You're going to end up disappointed. But what we see here is that God does give us these things as a gift for our enjoyment. And since God is the giver of this gift of enjoyment, we glorify God when we enjoy it to the full. So, so in review, time is the tool that God uses to make beauty. He is in complete control over time. He's painting a picture, and we will almost never be privy to what he is doing. So much so 
that in hard times, I would not recommend asking this question. What is God doing here? I don't think that's a good question to ask. I don't think when things are going bad, you should ask yourself, your spouse, or others, what is God doing here? I'm not saying it's, it's wrong or sinful to ask, but what I'm saying is what we're seeing in this text is we don't know. We'll often not know. When, when Joseph was, um, was, was in prison, falsely accused and sold into slavery, it wouldn't be good for him to come up with a bunch of theories of what God is doing. He just didn't have a clue. He would, he would most certainly land on some bad ideas. Or David, when he was running away from King Saul, what's God, or Moses, like they would not do well to ponder and come up with theories on what God is doing. There's some big overall things that we can kind of grab onto to, to hope in God and trust he's working all things together for good. But to come up with exactly what he's doing at any one time, I would not recommend asking that question. Because look at what we see in verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11. God has put eternity or a sense of time into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God does not intend for us to always or even often know what he is doing. And for that reason, we should simply enjoy his gifts in life along the way. And, and, and finally, and ultimately, all of this should provoke us towards worship. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says this, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. What God does endures forever. It cannot be altered, and that should cause us to fear him. Or again, as the NRSV captures well, it should cause us to stand in awe before him. He is God, and there is no other before him or above him. All time is in his hands. No one knows the beginning and the end. He does, and whatever he is doing is what truly matters, and it will last forever. So be encouraged. Time is the tool that God uses to make all things beautiful. And, and look, this teaching here isn't unique to Old Testament poetry. We also have it in the New Testament in an epistle written by Paul, famously in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And if that is true, then everything doesn't depend on us. And we can take a minute and smell the roses and enjoy the good gifts that God has given us along the way. You're supposed to enjoy these things that God gives you that are extremely ordinary things. And let the wonder of those gifts, big and small, provoke you to worship our God who is kind to people who don't deserve it. He does all things well. He uses time to make all things beautiful. And whatever you're going through now that might, that, that might seem so ugly now, you should be encouraged that that thing will actually be beautiful in time. We can throw out some scenarios and you say, Kevin, how can this be beautiful in time? And my answer is, I have no clue. I don't think it can be. 
other than by faith. And then we have a God who in the darkest moment of his, human history, when the death of the Son of God happened, somehow that worked to be the most glorious moment in human history. So since that is true, if you had the power to go back and alter time, an awkward moment, some bad decisions, I would say, please don't do it. God is making everything beautiful in time, and you're going to mess with it. Leave it alone. I know it's hard. Leave it alone. He's making all things beautiful in time. I mentioned earlier that movie I watched called About Time. Uh, at, at the end, the main character chooses to not travel back in time anymore. And listen to what he says. This is the end of the movie. He says this. He says, we're all traveling through time together every day of our lives. All we can do is do our best to relish this remarkable ride. The truth is, I now don't travel back at all, not even for the day. I just try to live every day as if I've deliberately come back to this one day to enjoy it as if it were the full final day of my extraordinary, ordinary life. So may God grant us the kind of trust and hope in him that we might find extraordinary enjoyment in our very ordinary lives.